original investigators believe he murdered her. They yeah. just can't prove it. It's my first initial call to the private investigator working on my dad's case. My wife jumps up from the table and says, God, who is this man coming in the backyard? I divorced him because I couldn't trust him at all. He lied to me at the very beginning. He was living two separate lives. In the water about 30 yards away, and I identified it as it was a person. We're currently listening to season two of Ashes to Ash TV, What Happened to Carolyn Blankenfeld? Episode 16, Sold. One thing we'd been hearing a lot from the neighbors was how quickly Chris sold everything that was Carolyn after she passed away, which it, that seemed kind of startling. So I really wanted to check to see if I could verify this information with someone who wasn't that familiar with Chris and Carolyn while they were alive. And luckily I found that couple. So there was Les and Carol who purchased Chris's house after Carolyn had passed away. They were the next people to live in that house. And I think their story is really compelling. So I was really happy that they agreed to sit down and chat with me. Carol and Les moved into Chris and Carolyn's old house. Well, we, we were out driving one day uh, in the Lillian area. And I told Les, I said, let's just go down this road, let's go straight down this road, don't turn off and go back on the main highway. And so as we were driving, we came actually just right down to the corner here and we saw the house just right there. And I said, oh, Les, I said, there's a for sale sign there. I said, let's find out what the house is, you know, find out about the house. So we actually pulled over. I called the number that was on the sign and we found out, you know, about the house and then actually what's funny is because one of the neighbors up the street saw us sitting out there and came down and said well hey how are y'all doing just and we said well fine you know and she said well she showed us she kind of showed us around the outside of the house and stuff and she said well chris the owner he's not here he's out of town and she is uh, actually the one who cheered with us about uh, carolyn's death and we knew it from the start and kind of knew that was a tragedy. The attraction was that where the house was on the water and I just liked the property. I liked the way it was laid out and everything. And then when the realtor showed us around inside, we was absolutely amazed about everything inside it. You know, like the kitchen, the, you know, the dining room, the living room. Of course, it's got a, a, a garage for me and a workshop and a, and, a, and a greenhouse and everything for Carol. So, and it just fit in so well with everything. And then these things started coming up where we started seeing signs. Carol saw the, uh, the painting of uh, The Starry Starry Night, which is one of Carol's favorite paintings. And then there was lots of other things that yeah, you Yeah, I that collect Buddhas. Yeah, yeah, I collect Buddhas and there were Buddhas in here. And of course, then we found out her name was Carolyn and my mother is Carolyn and I have a niece named Carolyn. So it was kind of like little signs that made us feel like it was the right house for us. And there was never any kind of uh, fear or anything, you know, of the unknown. So mm -hmm. it just it just always felt very homey to us. There was no, I mean, even though we knew what had happened, you know, we, and at that time we knew it was a tragic event that had happened. And that didn't 
put us off in any way, shape or form. The initial sort of viewing was we just viewed the house and the grounds and everything and like everything was immaculate, even the grounds outside. I mean, the, the, the grass was lush green and everything was so well kept and... Well, as far as the neighborhood, everybody's very friendly, especially like when we first moved in, they were all like, hey, welcome to the neighborhood, we're glad to have you. And mm -hmm. we thought, well, this is wonderful. I mean, everybody is uh, just, like I said, very friendly. It's refreshing. Uh, it is rural, but there is a, you know, there's a sense of community here. And uh, you have the feeling that everybody cares about each other. If you, were, you know, had trouble or needed help or whatever, they'd be there willing to help you. So that, that's nice to know. Together. Jeannie was really close to Caroline, I right. think. And, you know, she would come down and she'd talk, talk to me about her. She's the one who actually told me a lot of things about her. So just to quickly clarify who Jeannie is, she is one of Chris and Carolyn's neighbors that we've been interviewing throughout the show. She's actually in this episode, but just in case you weren't familiar with that name when it was just said, she is one of the neighbors and a close confidant of Carolyn's while she was alive. From what I feel that she was very admired by her neighbors, just the things that she, her creative side, because it seems like everybody knew that side of her. And I, th I think, you know, that they were very fond of her. Just breaking into the episode real quick as a reminder to subscribe. Please subscribe. All the money just goes back into helping us try to solve these cases. And the cool thing is you get some really nice perks if you do subscribe. You get to see the episodes without commercials on our website. You get to see the episodes early. You get discounts on merchandise. You get to be part of our private Facebook subscriber group, which allows you to have more direct access to us. And if you have questions, we'll answer those a lot more readily on the subscriber Facebook page. And last, but certainly not least, you get to see behind the scenes footage and uncut footage from time to time. So please subscribe if you can. It definitely helps us continue to look into these cases. And also just a quick reminder, the investigation of Kendrick Johnson did launch on April 30th and that will be releasing every two weeks so definitely stay tuned for that and just please remember we always keep our show free because that's what helps us get in tips and solve these cases and so we thank everyone for all your guys' support ashes to ash tv.com a-s-h-e-s-t-o-a-s-h-t-v.com now back to the episode I spoke with Rebecca Chris and Carolyn's neighbor at the time if someone who did never met Chris asked you to just describe him, like what would you say? He's evil. He's I think he's an evil person. He seems to be a sociopath. He's very narcissistic and he's manipulative. Yeah. He likes to tell stories for people to feel sorry for him in one way, you know, because that's what he would do when it was just out us at Scotch 30, like if Buddy and Carolyn went inside or something else like that. Say things like about their marriage, you know, it's a facade and He's been cheated on and all this other stuff, so. We also spoke with Aubrey, another neighbor of Chris and Carolyn's at the time. Since you're in your family kind of had really, from the moment one, had assumed the story might not be as simple as he portrayed it. How were you feeling at the funeral? Was there some anger or you were just too focused on her being gone that you, that's where your emotions stayed? Yeah, I was too focused on her being gone. I didn't really want to think about anything else. That day was just about Carolyn to me. I didn't have any feelings but towards her. Uh, like, has any point since she passed away, mm -hmm. have you ever thought that, well, maybe it was an accident? I never once thought it was an accident. It, to me, it always seemed like it was on purpose because he had said, <laughs> he had said the waves that day were very rocky. But in the last picture he took with Carolyn, the waves weren't bad at all. It was low tide, there was nothing going on.
I then say to Bonnie and Jeannie, the story has changed. We have written letters from him where the stories are different. And then plus what he has told people is incredibly different. It varies quite significantly from that she died right when she went into the water to that they were in the water for hours alive. Yes. Yeah, he told me when he got in the water, he couldn't find her. That's very alarming because all the stories that we have from him, including the one he originally told the cops, and there's two letters that were written to the kids that said that they were in the water for about two hours and she was still alive. But what were they doing in the water? Just playing around or? In Chris's letter to my mom, Annie, and Bree, he says, Carolyn jumped in the water at the end of a fantastic day of boating, which we both usually do. Normally the ladder is down and she holds on to it. She did this on that day, 530 days ago, but this time she didn't realize that the wind was blowing hard one way and the tide was going the other, taking us deeper into the bay. The pictures attached were taken minutes before she and I went into the water. Texted a few of them to Keith right before. They are attached. Keith has our texts from that day still. You should talk with him. We were having a fantastic day. He sent pictures to Keith, which apparently was out of character for him to send, and how convenient is it that they have a picture of them together, you know, on the boat. And as soon as Carolyn was in the water, the boat and I were a good ways from her. She yelled to me to help, and I jumped in after her, leaving the dogs on the boat. As soon as I got to her, I saw that the boat was headed away from us, and I asked her if I could go get the boat and come back to her, and she said, please don't leave me. I didn't, and then I spent the next few hours in the water holding Carolyn up and pulling her along by her bikini strap, fighting the wind, waves, and current several miles from shore. I lost her in the waves after a few hours. I'm fat, so I floated around for several more hours. When I finally could not breathe anymore, the sun was going down, so I stopped floating and let myself go. My feet hit sand and I was able to make it to shore. It was already dark. I collapsed on the back porch of someone's house. The boat with the dogs in it with the engine still running, washed up five hours later by Ono Island. The rest is all known to each of you. Do you feel like the version of her jumping into the water and kind of going under the waves or dying almost immediately, did you, do you feel like that you actually heard that him say that? Yes, right after her funeral when we all came down for a get together and stuff like that. He was, and it seemed like he was trying to get attention too because he had the, the door wide open, he was sitting on the end of his bed and it just, it was very uncomfortable, very uncomfortable. Did you feel like people were just kind of going in and out of the bedroom talking to him? Mm-hmm. Okay. At that point you feel like he was kind of talking about what had happened to all the different people who kind of came in and out. Yeah. And when you went- And there wasn't that many of them. It wasn't like the whole party was going in and out. It was only a, a, a couple people and I was standing right outside yeah. the bedroom. Okay. Did you ever compare stories with people that were there? Different stories as far as like how long she was under, if she was just out there swimming. Things like he, when he washed up on the shore, he had all of his, all of his clothes off. He was only in his underwear. Did you ever make up in your own mind what you ever thought might have happened out there? Then we spoke to Nathan, another neighbor of Chris and Carolyn's at the time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they both like to push each other's buttons quite a bit and you know but i feel like there was some sort of a struggle some you know something happened either she got pushed or thrown overboard and i think he waited and jumped in afterwards or even maybe he might have he lost his shirt for a reason so maybe the struggle was was either whether it was inside the water or outside the water i feel like there was a struggle how the heck do you lose your shirt that's the biggest thing to me, the biggest red flag. 
How many times have you gone swimming? When has your shirt ever ripped off? How, when has it come off your head in both arms and been like, oh, my shirt? Like, no, it doesn't happen. Your shirt is on. It might come up and you have to pull it down, but yeah. it's on. Yeah. So no, the fact that he washed up or swam up on somebody's backyard in his underwear, like, like I said, when, he, when, when Ed told me they found him in his underwear, I'm like, what the hell was he in his underwear for? My first question. How do you lose your shirt? Things like he, when he washed up on the shore, he had all of his, all of his clothes off. He was only in his underwear. Yeah, you've been more likely to wash up with no underpants, nothing on the bottom, right? Because you got then tired of fighting it. Yeah. So my first question was: Was there was there rips? Was there some sort of mm -hmm. anything else on there? Why would you ditch your shirt, bro? I heard later that the that he had told other neighbors that the boat wasn't even registered, so he wasn't going to take it out. It wasn't planned. He had written in the letter to them that he had collapsed lungs. So it, right off the bat, they were trying to figure out how to get me to stop doing this. And I said, well, show me the, the medical report that says you had collapsed lungs. In Chris's message to Bree, he says, I went and had an MRI done a few weeks ago because I wanted to see what the F was going on. I thought I had brain cancer. My therapist thought it was depression or grief. As it turns out, the day in the water, I apparently had a stroke in my frontal lobe. When my lungs collapsed, an adrenaline started spiking. The doctor thinks that apparently caused it. The doctor also told me that the things I am experiencing may be my new normal. Only time will tell. Only recently have I started to feel a bit better. And they, they could have gotten me to stop like that. Mm -hmm. All they had to do was show me the medical paperwork that said he had a collapsed lung. I didn't need to see anything else because I thought that would be a lot to do to yourself to collapse your lungs. Yeah. Yeah, but but he, you don't have collapsed lungs and mow your yard. You don't have collapsed lungs and they let you leave the hospital. And for collapsed lungs, they have to punch a hole through your ribs to reinflate a lung. Mm -hmm. And none of that happened. So, or not from anyone we've spoken to. No one saw that. So, so yeah, it just doesn't, it doesn't add up at all. Mm -mm is what he said in the letters was that she jumped in the water all of a sudden the boat was like 10 feet away from her like a tide had taken her he went in after her with out doing anything to the boat he got to her but and she was panicky but he had to immediately start rescue swimming her as tough as carolyn was i don't think she would have just i think you'd be scared if you went into the water and something happened but i, I don't think you would just be like i'm giving up I don't think she would have just given up. So that's what I think is interesting is you have a very capable, strong, brave woman in my interpretation. And oh yeah, definitely, mm -hmm. definitely. Yeah, and that like she wouldn't have fought a little bit. I, mm -hmm. I don't understand she that. She was so feisty, she would have fought. Right, absolutely. Like I just, the, the story, and he makes himself out to be this tragic hero in it, you know, and it's, yes. mm-hmm. Guys, I mourn Carolyn every single day. I mourn that I could not save her. It still hurts my heart and always will. The what-ifs of that day. What if I had driven the boat over to her? What if I had made her wear a life jacket? What if I had taught her to swim? What if I were a stronger swimmer? What if I wasn't so out of shape? I own all of these. They are my torture every single day. When I tell you I relive this every single day, you should know that it is the truth. I am haunted by it. However, I cannot go back and change any of it. And I don't need you two to keep it alive and fresh for your own odd reasons. No one does. Carolyn, let's admit. One of the things that, that we felt from dealing with Chris was that he just seemed to us like overly 
sad. You could just tell it affected him as far as, you know, what we, our experience with him is that he was just... He was just overcome with grief, really. Yeah. I mean, and, and it was plainly evident. The guy was like a zombie. He was ashen-faced, big black rings around his eyes. No. We felt for him, you yeah. know. He said, I just don't want the reminders. I can't, mm. I can't live with all the reminders. Mm. And mm. so that's how we ended up getting all the furniture and everything here is because he didn't want to he didn't take, want any reminders didn't want to take that at all. with him. <laughs> didn't didn't yeah. want it. Yeah. yeah. One thing I think is really interesting, when you hear Carol and Les talk about Chris, they only had met him the one time, and they seem to be really sympathetic with him. And I think that's really interesting. So you wonder if that's a product of actually real emotion from Chris, or if it's a mask that he wears, because it does seem like a lot of people are fooled at the beginning. But then as soon as that exterior starts to come down, they get to see the real Chris. So I think it's interesting, their perspective on the time that they met him. Then we asked Nathan, did you find it surprising that how quickly he kind of got rid of Carolyn's stuff? It was like immediate. I mean, in my opinion, it, 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 it was just too soon. It was only within a couple of months things were starting to go yeah. like fast. And then he sold the house fully furnished, you know, didn't want to keep anything. No memories. You don't want to keep it any. Yeah. He's gone. So that to me was just, I mean, and some people are like that though. Some people are like, I, I can't, I can't deal with it. I got to let it go. It's just odd. It's just, everything about the whole situation is odd. But they sold the Jeep. They sold everything that Carolyn had. Carol says, Well, we asked, would you be interested in selling any of the furniture? And she said, probably so. As it turned out, it was everything. Came with the house. Just, I'd say 90% of the furnishings, dishes, pots, pans, everything was left for us. So that was a blessing really for us, you know, financially. Then we spoke to Nick, Chris and Carolyn's neighbor and Buddy's son. Did you think it was weird or did you watch the getting rid of the items, like him get rid of her stuff so quickly? Did you witness that? And if so, what did you think about I, it? I just heard a lot of just stuff is going and then within five months, everything connecting to him to her is gone and he's with a new family, with did a you, newborn. Right, did you think that was weird? Uh, that, that was one major red flag. Yeah. Right, I, I'm still curious about that. I don't know what to think, but it's a red flag also. Les and Carol then explain. When we actually negotiated for the house, I mean, we didn't negotiate any furniture as such. We were told, well, that's staying, that's staying, that's staying. Like Carol said before, it's virtually everything. The only thing that actually went was the piano and the sofa. Those were the only two things that went. Everything else was like left behind. And we just sort of like, we were taken aback a little bit, thinking, well, you know, all this is staying, you're not taking any of it. As far as the cat staying, you know, it was kind of like, the cat goes with the house, so can y'all take care of her? She had been a feral cat, and Carolyn had kind of taken her in and fed her, and really she's very sweet, and uh, she's part of the family. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Aubrey then says, They thought it was odd that he was selling his house. And then when they found out he had another house where, in Wisconsin, mm -hmm. when they found out he had a house there, they thought it was extremely weird. And then when they found out he was living in Mobile, they were like, but he just had a house. Why, what is he doing in Mobile? Like, they, they were so confused. And they were also confused at the funeral because he was giving away her stuff. At the funeral? At the funeral. It was stuff laying out. I think it was on the table. Uh, her motorcycle helmet and her jacket. Yeah. And 
stuff like that. Is what you're telling me is he had like items, a couple of her items, like on a table, and he was allowing. Was he selecting certain people, or he was just telling people they could take something? I don't they remember wanted? what happened. I think I think it was split between a couple people. I'm not entirely sure, but I remember the jacket going to someone, and I don't know what happened to the helmet. But I know the jacket was going to someone. I know that one for a fact. Wow, that seems so strange. I can't even imagine having the wherewithal to like think to bring stuff to my, my husband's funeral. I'm obviously yeah. still alive, but like and giving them out, like I wouldn't yeah. even think to do that. That's wow. I've never even heard of that. That's really bizarre. Yeah, it's weird. So I just want to clarify quickly, because in the last part of the episode, everybody's kind of talking about three separate women, and it can kind of get a little confusing. So I just want to, ahead of time, make sure that everybody understands so when they dive into this last part that they'll understand it a little better. The first woman that everyone's talking about is a woman in Wisconsin that Chris supposedly moved to Wisconsin for or bought a house with in Wisconsin, had some activity in Wisconsin with, and that's the first woman that everyone's talking about. The second woman, whose name is Sarah, who is Chris's current fiance, she had worked with Chris while he was at Austell, and they are still together as far as I know to this day. And so that's kind of the second woman everyone's talking about. So this third woman, we've actually bleeped out her name. She was someone who worked with Chris, but we've been really unable to verify the stories. We've heard from a lot of people their speculation on what was going on between the two of them, but we haven't been able to talk to her directly about it yet. So we're just going to kind of leave that open-ended and bleep out her name. And if we can get more details or verify any of the facts, we'll definitely share further about who we're speaking about. But that's the third woman. So I just wanted to kind of clarify that there are three women here so that you can kind of help keep track of what happening in this last part. You're really probably going to have to pay attention. Bonnie and Jeannie then say, And it wasn't too long after that that he was in Wisconsin. How do you find a girl in one month? You're kind of thought about, it was about a month, you think, after Carolyn passed that he was in Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. And then how, do you know about how long he was gone for? Do you think it was a couple weeks or a month? Or? I would say about three weeks, Okay. I thought. And then all of a sudden he was just back? He was back. Yeah. Did you ever hear about him going to Wisconsin after Carolyn died? Yes. And did you understand why he was going, or you just heard that he went up there and that was kind of it? For a love interest. Mm -hmm. it, was there a point where you noticed that there was a woman going over to his house quite a bit? Yeah. Yeah. Within a couple of months after, I'd say there was a vehicle in the driveway, and uh, I would go down there and try to, hey, what's going on? You know, just to talk, try to hang out, try to keep things not weird. Because at this point, we had already gone down and talked to Fish and Wildlife, they, the investigators, so we didn't want him to think you know, anything was weird. So I'm still trying to be a normal neighbor and go down there and talk with him. And I knocked on his door, and he came there, and he said, hey, you got to keep it down. The baby's asleep. And I was like, what baby, dude? He's like, my, my girlfriend, her baby's asleep. And then I'm thinking, her baby? This is getting weird now. Is it her baby or your baby, dude? Because there were, you know, and then I started talking to guys. I keep in touch with a lot of guys from Austell. And a lot of the guys, the rumor at Austell is that it's his kid. When's the last time that you saw or spoke to Chris? A little after Carolyn died, it was right when he was moving away from here. He was asking us if we wanted anything from the house and that the house was sold and he had bought a house. First, he had bought a house in Wisconsin, and then he had bought a house or something in Mobile. So he was moving to Mobile. 
I don't remember the whole why everything changed or whatever, but I do know like first he tried, he was trying to move away. He was yeah. trying to get away, which I'm like, another red flag, bro. And then um, he's like, oh, no, no, no. They're giving me a big promotion at work now. And uh, I'm going to stay here. I'm just going to move to Mobile. And then that was pretty much it. And I was afraid to ask him anything because when he told me he didn't want me talking about Carolyn, I felt he doesn't want me asking him any questions yeah. at all. And I didn't ask him any. Absolutely. And it was pretty quickly after that you saw the woman that he worked with coming yeah. over. Okay. And I went over there. Yeah. <laughs> and she was in the Jeep. And I was like, oh no, I was there once before. Oh, maybe the week before, okay. and she was taking a nap. What was his appeal with all these women? Rebecca then admits. At the 4th of July party, I thought it was a little strange because I was hanging outside with the kids and I was, you know, there was a lot of drinking going on and everything else. And I started talking to and she was telling me that she was actually invited by Carolyn and that she felt very uncomfortable there and everything. And Carolyn was acting very, very, it was just very chaotic, very mm -hmm. chaotic, the way that Carolyn was talking about it. And I was coming out of the bathroom and I heard Carolyn and Buddy talking. And that's when I first got the hint that something was going on as far as it was between Chris and possibly having an affair or something to mm -hmm. that effect or whatever, because Carolyn was saying something to, to Buddy about that, about Wow. Yeah, th that's what she had suspected and everything else. So it was definitely very, very strange, the whole situation. And then I later found out afterwards, I told, told Nathan, I told my husband when I heard, you know, them over talk. I don't remember the exact verbiage of it right now. <laughs> Stayed outside the whole entire time with the kids. So I was going back and forth, back and forth. Carolyn seemed super like, like hyper kind of in a way. Okay. Like, but irritated. That was one of the one of the many times that I definitely noticed there was some kind of tension and something between Chris and Carolyn. Did you think that there potentially could have been an affair going on between and Chris? I think there could have been, yeah. But to me, it was kind of strange because she was a very beautiful woman, and I was like, I mean, that's just. I'm sorry if that's mean. And I was like, why? Nick then says. And that that wasn't the first time. I mean, uh, even when she was alive, Carolyn had it had a. I invited the whole neighborhood out uh, for a fish fry and even invited the female that he was talking to to come over, uh, kind of as a, I'm, I'm not stupid. You interpreted her doing that as kind of like, yeah. I know what you're so up to. So it, it's, it, that, that, that's always been a thing in play for a while, apparently. Yeah, that's what I thought. I think it's funny how he called her out for her stuff, but I feel like if you look at it, he was doing the same thing. But I think it's interesting that he pointed a finger at her as if she was doing something wrong. I mean, that was before, well before. And I think that just started the wedge, just driving that wedge. And I don't think she was happy in there anymore. And she found happiness with my dad. Nick is Buddy's son. Yeah, absolutely. I then questioned Rebecca. Did you ever hear about uh, Buddy and Carolyn having an affair? Yes. The way that they introduced themselves, themselves to us, and this is in front of Chris and everything, they always said that they were soulmates, you know? And they, they said, you know, not sexual, but we're soulmates. And as, you know, time went on and Scotch 30 and the t amount of time that they spent together, at the time, I didn't think, I didn't think anything of it. But looking back on it, 
you know, uh, and then Buddy telling me, I was like, yeah, definitely it could be. And, you know, he told me that they were together for about eight years and that she was supposed to tell Chris that she was going to leave and move in with him mm -hmm. um, right around that time. And it, that's not the first time Carolyn's said, you know, that she's leaving Chris. There yeah. was quite a few times where she would, she, Carolyn would confide in me, Chris would confide in Nathan. That's the, how we were. Les and Carol then explain. A couple of things happen. The one thing that happened that affected me was Carol was working at the airport. She has to get up at two o'clock in the morning to be at work for 4 a.m. So like, you know, she gets up and I'm still in bed, still asleep, because I don't get up till six o'clock. And this particular morning, she got up, got ready, unbeknownst to me, went out to work. And it was a little while afterwards, and I was laying in bed, sort of half asleep, and I heard this huge sigh to my right, which is where Carol usually, she sleeps on my right, and she exits the bed on that side. And I thought, well, she's in the bedroom, Carol's in the bedroom getting something before she goes out. And then I actually opened my eyes and looked at the clock, and it was 4 a.m., and I thought, well, she's really, really late. And then when I asked her when she came home that night, she said, no, she said, I was gone. I was gone at 2.45. So that was the first instance that, that got me. And we've had instances where we have things with lights going on all the time, all the time. And there's a china cabinet in the dining room that has handles on it. When you touch the handles, the lights come on and you touch them again to get them down. I've come back in the house after being out all day and the light is glowing in the china cabinet. I've felt her here. I was in the bathroom one day and there is a metal hanging ornamental piece that's uh, hanging into in the window. And there's, it's a double sinked bathroom. So I was at the, the furthest sink from that actual window. So I was brushing my teeth and I just kind of caught out the corner of my eye that ornamental frame was just going back and forth. And I thought, okay, there's nothing, there's no air conditioner on, there's nothing going on, you know, and I just said, hey, Carolyn, how you doing? You know, <laughs> so I mean, we kind of feel her here, talk to her. I know like one day my niece Carolyn was down visiting me and the cat who Carolyn took in is a feral cat uh, named Penelope. She'll rub up against you, but she's not one to want to sit in your lap. Uh, my Carolyn, my, my niece and I were talking and uh, we were talking about Carolyn and the situation and how we felt, you know, she was here and just different things about her. And the cat, out of nowhere, just jumped up in my lap, you know, and just started purring. And I thought, you know, Carolyn's here with us, you know, and it, it, there's just a little signs, you know, and like I said, some, sometimes people poo-poo that, but, you know, I think it's quite real. We've never been afraid, never, it's, it's never, never been anything, anything frightening. There's like, nothing, you know, yeah. it's, not a, it's not a bad situation or anything like that. And it's just little things that happen and you go, oh, okay, well, you know, she's around. It doesn't bother us at all. We just, you just see signs. I'll never forget her. I, I never will. Oh, she was just a beautiful person. What do you think the world lost when they lost her? Oh, God. She was kind. She was a gentle person. She would do anything to help you. She was a good person. It's crazy when everyone talks about her because I kept Chris at arm's length so it inadvertently kept her at arm's length. And every time I hear about her, I'm like, oh, it's so sad I didn't ever really get to know her because she sounds like she was incredible. There's just so much of her here, just her craft mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. 
craftsmanship and art. She's this very artsy person. That, that bedroom, and she was good at repurposing things. I can see that. And the bedroom is a case in point. Those were all actually pallet boards, like goods come and get delivered on a truck. And those were all individual pieces that were put on that wall. And then they were burned with a, with a, I guess, a blowtorch or something to get them get that effect. And then it was stained on top of that. And it's absolutely wonderful. She must have had a really good imagination to do things. I mean, like this kitchen, you know. And what was your impression of, was she a strong woman or a weak woman? Or what was your thoughts on her? My opinions on her were that she was a very strong and independent woman, like she didn't need Chris. I saw her as strong and independent. She used to fight her fights. She, she definitely was a little feisty one. I do yeah. wish we could have met her. I just, I think I would have just loved her company. I think she's probably a little bit of a spitfire, which I love that. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, I'd like to sit down and have a drink with her and just tell her how interesting she is to me and thank her for sharing herself, right. you know, and all her little creations. And artistic people, just, they put so much of themselves and their soul into things. And I'm glad that she lives on here. Ashes to Ash is created by Ash Patino, associate producer Kate Giordano, co-host production manager Bree, crew member Victoria Gockler, music score David Patino, and the interviews throughout this episode were with the neighbors of Chris and Carolyn at the time. Jeannie and Bonnie, Nick, Nathan, Rebecca, Aubrey, Les and Carol were also interviewed, but they moved into the neighborhood after Chris had moved out. Please subscribe for commercial-free content on the website, ashestoashtv.com, www.ashestoashtv.com. If you know of a legal activity involving this case, please reach out to your local law enforcement. If you'd like to give us information or a tip, please email at ashland57 at gmail.com, A-S-H-L-A-N-D-5-7 at gmail.com. We can absolutely keep you anonymous. To follow us on Facebook, please go to Ashes to Ash, True Crime, and on Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter at Ashes to Ash TV.